Welcome to the Marketing Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Barker, and my guest today is Daniel Rodriguez, the Chief Marketing Officer at Simpler. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the importance of customer experience and delivering service in real time. So cool, you guys. Hey, we've got Daniel Rodriguez today um, from Simpler. Uh, super excited. I've been actually looking forward to this uh, the interview for the last few weeks. Doing a lot of research in, into your background, but I, you know, I, enough about. I, I mean, I could tell everybody the whole world about you, but I'd rather hear it from you. So tell us a little bit. I want to kind of start from the beginning. Like, where did you grow up? Give us a little backstory here. Sure. Yeah, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. So, uh, so born in Cleveland and raised uh, raised in the suburbs of Cleveland. So I'm a, I'm a Northeast Ohio guy, kind of through and through. Gotcha. So you were, were you happy when LeBron left or was that like super where you're like, did you burn the Jersey? Just be honest. Oh my gosh. You know what? LeBron. I, so I love LeBron. Um, and we played against LeBron. My high school played against St. Vincent St. Mary's. He's two years younger than I am. So we were in high school at the same time and he, you know, his sophomore year is kind of when he hit his growth spurt and he kind of separated himself from the other couple of guys at St. Fitz's and Mary's that came there with him from AAU and made the team unbelievable. Um, And so I was so excited to see him go to the Cavs because he was our hometown hero already. And we thought, you know, in high school, we were like, oh my God, this guy is so good that he might, he might like, go to Duke. You know what I mean? Like we might know somebody who actually like goes to Duke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then he just for, you know, was like, oh, I'm going to forego college. Um, and, uh, and so I absolutely have always loved LeBron except for the four years that he was in Miami. Um, yeah, no, because I mean, yeah, he, he broke my heart the way he did it. You know, he probably looks back on that and said, you know, that was probably an immature way of, of leaving. I totally understand why he left. Um, I mean, Hey, I, I left Cleveland too, you know? Um, but, uh, but at the same time, um, the way he came back declared his intention to win a championship and delivered, um, I cried when the, when the Cavs won that championship, it was, it was unbelievable. So did you, but see, when you left, when you left Cleveland, you didn't put anything in the paper. You just, you just kind of left, right? I mean, I know there was a big impact there because they were like, wait a second, who just left? They're like, Daniel just left. Like, wait a second, enough about LeBron. <laughs> Tell me about Daniel. Like, what happened with Daniel? So uh, you left, and now you left. Now you're in what? You're in Boston, right? Yeah, so I'm in, I'm in Boston now. There was definitely zero hoopla about me leaving Cleveland. But, you know, it is a little bit of a sad thing where there's, you know, there's a little bit of talent flight, I think, that can, that can happen from areas like like Cleveland. And um, I think LeBron has been doing a lot to try to bring people back to Cleveland and also to, and, and also to keep people there in the Northeast Ohio area. And, you know, the investments that he's made in Akron, um, you know, to build those communities uh, is, is really, is really amazing. So, so I'm, I'm a big fan of LeBron's way outside of just what he's done with sports. Well, I think the thing is, and we have this, we kind of have this issue in Sacramento. It's sometimes, we're now we're talking about basketball, but sometimes it's hard to keep talent because we're not LA, right? We're not Miami. We're not these bigger, bigger cities. So I could, I could understand that when you go to the bigger cities, but it's nice when they reinvest in, in where they came from. So where did you go to college? So you left, you left Cleveland and then you went to Boston and then where'd you go to college? Yeah, I went to Harvard. That was really the reason that I, you know, left Ohio was to go to, was to go to school. Um, and then I never, I never left Boston. So I've been here, I've been here for almost 20 years now. That's crazy. So at Harvard, I've heard of Harvard. I'm trying to think, I'll have to Google that. Um, I've heard of that college. I don't know why that rings a bell, but anyways, cool. Yeah. So Harvard, and then you might go, let's just talk about your MBA. Let's just get this out of the way. Cause you, we've gone to two schools that I'm like, I can't even spell those schools, but you went to them. 
Um, so what is this thing? You got your master's at where? Yep. I went to MIT Sloan for, uh, for my MBA. Awesome. Awesome. And then what was your like, okay, so you have that, your Boston, obviously the funny part about Boston is first of all, I was supposed to go. There's a long, long story. There was like two places I saw uh, Goodwill hunting and that movie like changed my life. And I was like, either I'm going to Chico, California, which is like the home of Sierra Nevada brewing company. Right. Or I'm like, I'm going to Boston. My mom's like, why Boston? I was like, Goodwill hunting. Hello. You didn't see the movie. And she's like, I think it's solid. That's solid that you're going to go to Boston because of that. So I ended up not going to Boston. I visited Boston and I think there's like a college every nine feet. Isn't it something like that? Like every. It, it, it does. It has a, um, there, there is some stat. I don't know what it is, but I mean the, um, the number of colleges like per square mile, I think is like the highest density, you know, is it's anywhere, silly. anywhere, definitely in, in the United States. I think there are some, somewhere along the lines of like 50 colleges in Boston and the immediate surrounding metropolitan area of Boston. Philly, I remember because when I went to Boston, I actually, um, I actually went to Harvard. I don't know if you know that. I went there and picked up a sweatshirt. <laughs> I only went there for about an hour, but I did. I literally did. And, I, and it's like a polo sweatshirt. And, so, and it says Harvard on the side. And I've gotten so much attention from that. People are like, oh, you went to Harvard? And I'm like, yes, for a day. <laughs> I went there for actually just a few hours to be just super honest with you. And it's like, it's, I've let a few people down because they thought like, oh yeah, Harvard. And I'm like, yeah. No, I didn't. Sorry, they did not accept me. I was like, I, I, I don't blame them because I, I wasn't that smart back then. I've obviously gotten smarter over the years, but um, that's crazy. So what was, okay, Harvard, MIT. So what was your first job out of college? What did you jump into? Yeah, so I went and worked for a strategy consulting firm, a, a boutique strategy consulting firm. Um, you know, I think there was a lot of, I think there was a lot of like kind of pressure and inertia, you know, be, being at Harvard to go into either, um, finance or consulting. Um, yeah. And having student loans, you know, I didn't have the luxury of feeling like I could go off and just not do one of those two kind of like, you know, a little bit higher paying like, you know, tracks in, in life. Cause I really wanted to get, you know, you know, out of the red and into the black as, as, as soon as I, as soon as I could. So I never even really considered a lot of things outside of those, uh, of those industries. Um, and uh, had had a, a really formative experience for three years working at a at a consulting firm. Um, had some cool, uh, you know, brand name clients like Harley Davidson and, and Royal Caribbean. Um, you know that I worked on. I spent spent about actually eighteen months of my time um, working for Harley Davidson, like in Milwaukee, like traveling out to Milwaukee every week. Um, and even though I do not own motorcycles or know even how to ride motorcycles, I you know still have some you know really fond memories and, and some connections and friends there from, from the uh, team that we, that we worked with at Harley. Yeah. Harley was, I mean, to talk about a solid brand, you know, cause they went from like being like a biking company, kind of hardcore biking company to like, Hey, you can be Joe on the weekends and go grab your Harley and go out and go on a ride and then put on your jacket and more girls will like you. And it's like, I, I think that worked. Not that it ever worked for me, but I'm just saying for other people, for Joe that, in that example, I'm sure Joe probably scored a lot, but um, so cool. Tell us about, so you, there's other companies you work for and I, I really want to talk to you about simpler, right? I mean, it's, um, that's something that kind of caught my eye when, you know, the reason why we reached out to you for the interview was because of what you've been doing there. I mean, you've been there for just about a year's time, right? Maybe about just under a year. Yeah. Earlier. Yes. Yeah, it started, started there earlier this year. You know, the, the world is now no longer on the, you know, the, the traditional Roman calendar. We're just on, is it COVID or, you know, pre COVID it was it post or pre. So actually I joined, um, I joined right when the pandemic basically started and things shut down. 
So have you actually ever been to the office or have you been no, fully remote? I Never haven't. Been. I've been completely, I've been completely remote. I've, um, there are a couple people here in Boston. Um, so the CEO is actually here in Boston and there's a, there's a couple more people. So we did for the first time actually just get together for like a social distanced, you know, little lunch. Um, and that was the first time many of us had actually even met each other face to face. And it was a funny experience. It was like, oh my gosh, you're tall. You know, like I, yeah, we've never, yeah. we have no you're, concept you're, of stand like. Up, stand up during Zoom calls too. Yeah, you don't have to. Well, you shouldn't because you might not have pants on or something, right? I mean, like <laughs> exactly. super awkward. We've all been there. We've all been there. So, and, and, and you guys didn't hug or anything, right? I'm just making sure for COVID. No, protocol. no, I know. We're not, you know, we don't even hug, you know, my in-laws. Um, no, no, we're, we're definitely, we're definitely trying not to, uh, try not to give anybody COVID. That's good. Cause so you do have COVID cause you said, try not to give anybody. <laughs> you is don't that, know. That that's confirmed? the problem with COVID. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> this is the craziest virus. Valid. You don't, you know, you only know days after you're contagious that <laughs> you have COVID. I, mm-hmm. I've been tested a few times. I never had it then. I, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I will view, I will view my own family experience as a cautionary tale. I will say this. I want to share this because I, I hope people hear this and, and listen. My mom almost died from COVID in July. She was in the ICU on a ventilator for eight days. And it was like literally the scariest situation I've ever experienced in my entire life. We couldn't be there, right? And we couldn't even get access to information. So, I mean, it is, it it feels like it's something kind of out there, um, but it is very real. So please do take all of those precautions necessary. I'm, I'm going to, I can't necessarily trump what you said, but nobody on my podcast knows this, but I actually had COVID and that is a serious, my wife, my wife's a nurse and we had COVID a few months ago. Nobody's, I've never told me, but it's just because it's, you know, because I'm worried about through the podcast, people getting it, you know, obviously that they say you can get it through Zoom now. So I'm like, every time I get close to the mic and I think, you know, this is going to be terrible, but at least I told you, at least I disclosed it. But no, all joking aside, like your mom, dude, I'm glad your mom pulled through. Like, that's super, like, that would be like, that was my biggest thing when I found out that I had it was I had to call people because, and I wasn't seeing tons of people. We were masking up. My wife, once again, being a nurse, we're in kind of a high category. We weren't seeing people. And there was two people that I had to call. And one of them was named, I'm not gonna say his full name because people might know him, but um, buddy of mine, Scott. And I called him up and said, Hey dude, just so you know, like, I think I have COVID. And obviously I'm a smart aleck. And he goes, yeah, whatever, dude. And I go, no, like I seriously think I have COVID. And he's like, are you serious? And again, he goes, dude, I just saw my mom last night. I was playing the piano at her house and, 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 we, and I told her just to take her mask off. And I'm like, oh my God. And so for me in my head, I'm thinking, if I mess with this guy's life and his mom, something happens to his mom, like I seriously wouldn't be able to live with that. Like, like I'm being very serious. Like I was like, I, I had a sleepless nights and I was like, how's your mom doing? Like I would check in with him every day. Cause I'm like, mom, like I'm a mama's boy. So it's like, that's like, you know, not, and not if I wasn't a mama's boy that I wouldn't care, but I mean, like it's, you know, in my heart, I'm just like, oh dude, if I, if I messed up his mom, like I will be so pissed and, and she's fine and she's totally good and survived. I'm glad to hear that your mom's okay. Um, and the COVID thing, yeah, it is real. It absolutely is real. I mean, the chest thing and tightness in chest and all that craziness, it's, um, it's something that's a whole nother podcast episode. But a I, whole other podcast, yeah. But it's, it it, I mean, and, it, and it's so wild how different people's reactions to it can be. My dad, on one end of the spectrum, positive also, because it was in the house. Once it's in the house, it's like, yeah, you know, done. 90% chance everyone's getting it. Um, asymptomatic. He never experienced a symptom of having COVID. My sister, she was in the house. She was, you know, and she's in her late 20s. And it was like flu-like, 
you know, symptoms, yeah. chest tightening for weeks afterwards, you know. Um, but I mean, talk about, you know, a range. I will, and I'll, because I don't want to spend this whole time on COVID, I will tell you that my son, 21 years old, got tested, but of course it took like two weeks to get the results back. We kept him in the house, asymptomatic, no issues. Myself, I'm asthmatic. I had chest issues, didn't have to go to the hospital. My wife also, there was a night or two, we were like on the edge of thinking, hey, should we go into the hospital? Didn't have to do that. I will tell you one last story too. The nurse that I was, um, that, that called me up says, hey, how are you doing? She goes, this is the craziest virus. I have about one lady who's 101 years old, has gotten it twice, hasn't had any asymptomatic. Like she walks every day, she wears her mask, didn't even know she had it. And there's another guy works out all the time, takes supplements, vitamins, probably doesn't drink, never smoked in his life. And he, he's on a ventilator. So it's like, the, like, and how do you evaluate? Like the 101 year old, you're like, she's gone. Like, sorry, yeah. you had a great life. Like, God bless you. And now the other guy's going to make it and he's not, or not that he is, he did make it, but it's like, he's not going to be able to ride his bike. He was an avid bike rider. So anyways, I mean, we could talk about this for, like I said, this could be, you know, you and I would share stories and probably drink scotch and smoke cigars and I'd probably cry halfway through, but we're good now. So I'm <laughs> solid. So tell me about simpler. Cause that's what, that's really the thing that that's really, and I hate to go from like COVID to talk like, Hey, look, I don't care about people dying. Let's talk about simpler. Let's talk about this, this platform you guys have got, but Kind of, I'm, I'm intrigued by it because of the way you guys have created and we talk about, you know, the customer experience and stuff like that. But tell me a little bit about Simpler. Give me some, give me some backstory here on this. Yeah. I mean, so you know, Simpler was, was not born uh, as an accident, right? So we are actually, we are a subsidiary of a very large company. We are a wholly owned subsidiary that's been spun out so that we can be a startup and grow like a startup. Um, so we've been around for three years, um, but we've got, you know, the, the backing of, of, the, of the big parent company, which is, which is comforting, I think, you know, for both us and I think a lot of our customers during this turbulent time. Um, but we were born out of, um, of, of an observation that Assurian, our parent company, was, mm -hmm. able, was able to make. Because Assurian, which is a large insurance company, I don't, a lot of Dude. people don't actually know Assurian because they white label their main product offering. They have several different product offerings, but their main product offering is insurance for your cell phone. So 20% of Americans are actually Assurian customers, but most of them do not know that. <laughs> um, and so, so Assurian has large contact centers. They, you know, they're, they're taking a lot of different, you know, a lot of different customer inquiries on behalf of, you know, the, the cell phone companies that they're representing and, um, you know, these 10,000 plus person contact centers and looked at this whole model and said, this model is freaking broken. It is, it is so inefficient and it is increasingly letting down customers. Customers and that's partly because we as customers have changed and, and, and we as customers have evolved. So, um, so, so, you know, we, we you know, we're, we're a technology company. We're also a people company. Um, and, and, um, and, you know, I think that, you know, the way that we kind of look at the world is, you know, it's, you know, there's some things that are fundamentally broken about the customer experience that are happening out there right now. Um, sure. And, uh, and, and we're not going to, uh, we're not going to rest until they're all fixed. So it sounds like there was kind of a, an issue saying, hey, from the customer experience, we have some issues here. They found a solution and now you guys broke off as another company, right? I mean, it kind of sounds like, hey, listen, because there is, when you talk about the customer experience, it's like usually people's customer experiences aren't good, right? I mean, yes. historically, I mean, you think about the companies that you call and you're like, I, 
I'll give you, this is a stupid example. Like, well, I'm not even gonna give the example of the IRS because I called the IRS. Well, I will give the example. Called the IRS and they were like hanging up on me. And I'm like, I'm literally trying to give you guys money and you're hanging up on me. Like, how is that? It's terrible. Not that the IRS really cares because we're like, we're going to come get you no matter what, which is awesome. But it really comes down to like, what is that? Like, do you understand what your customers are going through and how they're experiencing that? So you're, so with Simpler, what is like, what are you guys looking to solve? Like, is it just that overall, that journey for the customers and to make sure that it's a better experience? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think, I think the, the, the major problem right now is that Amazon screwed us all up. <laughs> yeah. Um, I screwed us all up. I, I mean, that's that. I, I only mean that half jokingly, right? I mean, um, it doesn't even matter what what actual, you know, generation you are in. Demographic shift: a, a huge group of people that are multi generational here, that have an expectation that when I reach out to your company, I'm going to get what I need right now. Amazon. Amazon solved that on the making it easy to buy the thing that you want right now. Um, but that then has trickled down into multiple different things. And in particular, the expectation that when I, as a customer of yours, have a question pre-sale or if I have you know, an issue post-sale, I, I expect that you are going to meet me now, wherever I am, channel, and whenever I am right now. <laughs> and so, you know, this kind of, this now demographic that has been created, which I'm definitely part of, yeah. um, you know, and, and you, you, you might as well be a part of it. You know, I'm assuming, you know, based on some of the stuff you're saying. Um, and, um, and so because there is this now expectation, um, there is an enormous amount of pressure on companies to be able to then meet their customers where they are when they, when, when they, when they want. And, you know, we are coming out of a model that was not built to service the now customer. We are coming out of a model that was built initially to service you calling the IRS during hours of operation on the telephone, an actual call center, that was like kind of the, the, the model for larger companies um, to, to be able to service this. And then the internet comes along and there's different channels that people want to be met along. And we have then attempted to service those channels with that same model. And now with, you know, I, the pandemic has actually accelerated what was already just a trend anyway, from yeah. brick and mortar to digital, where people don't need or want even to go into your store or meet you in person or call you on the phone. They are busy in their own way and they have good Wi-Fi in their house and it's going to be on the channel that they want. And whether that's through Instagram or whether that's on a chat window, that's where people want to be engaged with. And so we're solving the problem that people have of, of meeting their customers at now. As an entrepreneur, I totally second Daniel's views on the importance of delivering the best customer experience possible to your customers. It's been a great conversation today, and we're going to wrap up the segment here. But in the next episode, I'll be back with Daniel to discuss more about customer experience and how gig workers can help with it. And if you want to improve your customer experience and satisfaction, you can reach out to us at shanebarker.com. My team has a wealth of experience helping business owners deliver better experience to their customers. Stay tuned to Shane Barker's Marketing Growth Podcast.